Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was just like, that's the best, man. Today we've got a really awesome episode. So uh, thank you everybody that's hopping on to listen. Just a reminder... Uh, if you don't catch this episode or any of the episodes live, you can always hop on later and actually listen to the episodes on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. So just because you don't catch it live doesn't mean you're going to miss out. You can always listen to it later. Today we have an awesome guest, um, Bartle, as she goes by, uh, is an incredible dancer. Um, She's also a primitive skills practitioner and teacher. uh, And she just completed this crazy quest, basically, to walk um, all the way to Montana from roughly Mexico. So we're going to find out all about what it's like basically to walk across the United States and uh, the kind of skills and things it takes to to get to that point. So uh, with all that said, let's let's get this rocking. Bardo, how we doing? Hey, man. Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> good, good. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you're coming in great. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound awesome. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. It's so good to have you on here. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So what's it, uh, what's it like now? Are you settling back into kind of the normal life where you, you're spending more time in one place rather than walking all over? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, after this last big walk that I did um, this last year, early fall, um, I went back up to southwestern Montana, and um, I've been teaching an outdoor program here for the past four and a half months, so um, yeah, I've been pretty stationary in Montana um, for the past few months, which has been really nice, but I'm pretty excited for the next adventure. Right on, right on. So what kind of things do you do you teach at uh, the current class you're doing? Totally. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things, one of the main things I was hired for um, this year was to um, ethically slaughter and to kill and slaughter and process um, 14 sheep um, with a group of adults here. And wow. so, yeah. Um, yeah, we we killed them with a knife instead of a gun. Um, and then the goal with each animal that we processed was to um, only waste the waste. So we like processed all the bones and the meat and all the organs and um, even made sausage, recorded with the intestines, um, processed the blood, worked with different ways of cooking blood. Um, and obviously use the brains and the hides for tanning. So um, that was one of the biggest projects here. Um, other Excellent. than that, there was some some hide tanning, some basketry. Um, we did a winter walkabout with a group of people, which was really cool. Um, and then um, basic other primitive skills and bushcraft type of stuff here. So um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think to a lot of people, uh, just tapping into tapping into one part of what you said, 
fried blood. People are like, oh, that sounds like so gross. But yeah. then you try it your first time after being really hungry and you're like, wow, this is actually really, really good. I can't believe, you know, it's crazy that more people um, don't get to experiment with that and try it. The consistency isn't what you would imagine. You know, people think it's like a liquid, but yeah. it really thickens up as you cook it. Yeah, yeah. So you have eaten blood from animals that you've killed or? I have, it? yeah. Cool. Yeah, blood is really interesting because um, it has a very similar texture to like a fried egg. And um, yeah, like a lot of people think that, like, I feel like everyone in like their emotional body has like a memory of eating a scab as a kid. And so they're going to assume that like blood is kind of like bitter. <laughs> but when you actually eat it from a fresh animal, it's it's a little bit more neutral and sweet. And um, one of my favorite ways to consume it is to consume it raw, um, especially if it's like mixed with like a raw milk or or something. And then we start experimenting with cooking. And I'm always like beautifully surprised like at the people that are willing to try things. It's It's almost like deep down they know it's in their bodies, you know to eat this way but um yeah I agree I think I think blood is a really good one to get people past and like more more acquainted with totally <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah definitely opened my eyes so with all of these like different skills um you know how did you get your start were you a kid that um was always trying to get to this point where you wanted to experience um kind of the skills of old and looking to live this way from the jump or did that kind of progress over your life yeah yeah i think my like slow progression into these earth-based skills was um it didn't happen right away i mean as a kid like i would talk to trees and or trees would talk to me um and i was also like kind of a almost like a stereotypical hyperactive child. So like I had to constantly be flailing and moving. And if I was put in a setting where I had to be still, I'd usually get in trouble. <laughs> um, but I didn't really feel, I didn't really know that there were like these earth-based skills that I'm into now um, in high school. I was really into this one photographer called the Polaroid Kid. Um, okay. And he was this like punk photographer that would take portraits of like kids that would ride trains or like traveling kids. And I remember they, those portraits carried a specific type of grit that I, I wanted. Like I wanted yeah. that feeling of aliveness in my life. Um, and so then after high school, I went traveling for a while and then landed on the, um, west coast and was in a small modern dance company over there um and then i got actually first introduced to like traditional skills through peter michael bauer um mm. have you ever heard of his project rewild portland um, i i actually uh i followed him online i've never met him but I, I have seen some of his stuff nice yeah he would hold these like weekly free skill shares um, and that's where I like made my first hand drill fire and wove my first basket. Um, and then slowly kind of got more, um, connected with like the handcraft folks 
Um, and then eventually had a deep desire to walk um, mm. and to walk long distances. Um, and then started meeting people that do walkabouts and survival trips and then kind of put the handcrafts down for a while and had a really strong emphasis on walking and then eventually started running. Um, right. So. And, yeah. and all that, it, it was kind of, uh, at least from what, what I know about you, it kind of seems like a natural progression because your background, it wasn't just a hyper kid. You were actually like a super talented uh, yeah. dancer with like an affinity for like high level modern dance and, and yes. ballet and such. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't really know what like category that falls under. Cause it's like, can get a little, people can get argumentative to call a dancer an athlete or an athlete right. because the type of dancing I did wasn't competitive, but I did train eight hours a day through like a lot of my childhood. Um, so I did as a young child have like training either built into me and or beat into me and or like a blessing in disguise because I didn't know that then after quitting dancing and a fair bit of athletic pursuits for a short period of time that then it would like pop me out into this walker and survivalist and, and trail runner. Um, so yeah, I did in my childhood have a bit of athletics built into it for sure. Yeah, it almost kind of like, it almost kind of set you up for this new journey because the, the second half of your journey isn't necessarily either art or athletics. Again, you're kind of finding yourself in the middle of those two. For sure. Yeah, I um. I think I have like certain friends that have these like super specific niches, um, whether mm. they are like handcrafting galore or they're more just minimalist athlete or backpacker. And I noticed that for me to feel well-rounded um, just as like a dynamic person that I really like to um, for certain times of the year, just like, dive really deep into my training and my movement arts and my outdoor education and my walkabouts. And then there's other times of the year where I just want to be like singing songs and like weaving baskets and teaching a bunch. Um, and like, I feel like in my early twenties, there was always this kind of search for a specific, but now I feel like in my thirties, I'm just like accepting myself for just being like, these are all these things I love. And if seasonally I can fit time in, into like pursuing them then I feel really really good about it for sure yeah that's awesome yeah I actually was curious uh how old you are I, I don't think I've ever asked you that question before totally yeah I'm 31 yeah wow you've done a lot of things in 31 years <laughs> nice totally <laughs> yeah for sure so, with the traveling like what was the first what was the first exposure because if, if I remember correctly you're like me you're from the midwest originally and then I, I guess we both kind of are transplants at this point but what was your start to traveling yeah well once I saw a polaroid kid photograph um I was already kind of a night owl like in my early years in high school I would just walk from like 8 p.m. to 2 in the morning um, and I would always just like listen to music and walk and I loved 
how the city was like silent at night and I would just like walk and see the street lights and maybe see some critters and um, just kind of like bliss out in my own world because I grew up in a pretty urban environment. Um, but the first time I like traveled is I actually saw a train plugging along super slowly and I was like, huh, I'm going to jump on this train right now. And, and I actually ran <laughs> and I jumped on, there was like this little ladder and I jumped on and I just rode it for maybe, I don't know if it was a couple hundred feet, but I felt that freedom. And then I just jumped off. But that was like my first like elevated experience of like, I could carry myself anywhere. Um, and so I know that that isn't traveling far. <laughs> That's so epic though. But, but it like, it like, it lifted me in this way to be like, I could go anywhere that I wanted to. Um, but the first, the first like walk about walk I did um, was with my best friend and my partner, Chris. Um, he actually, this was like over seven and a half years ago now. Um, we went on a blanket pack trip. So we just went out with wool blankets um, and then some basic essential foods, um, a map and compass, our knives, um, some traps. And um, yeah, we didn't bring any bedding. Um, and we went up into the Pesaten and we did like a 40 mile, 40 mile loop. Um, and so that was like my first, my first like time spent on foot going over a mountain range and um, working with like the land in that way. Um, right. Integrating all those skills together. So, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And so I'm curious for uh, a lot of folks maybe that don't do solo or minimalist backpacking trips, you said something that might be foreign, which is the words map and compass. So actual like traditional land navigation. Were those skills that uh, you picked up like shooting bearings or orientating maps and using the poles. Did you know that stuff from a past experience or were those skills that you just kind of learned from books on your, on your way through the journey? Yeah. Yeah. I took my time to learn map and compass because Chris was so comfortable with it. Um, so there were the first like three years of like hardcore longer trips um we had already done like an 82 day um wild food survival trip we had already done a 30 day wild food walk we had already done like multiple like backpacking trips it wasn't until i started having a strong desire to do solos where um i was like okay there's some basic skills that when chris and i are together we like hold as a team but if i want to do these um like solo runabouts because I was a lot more of a runner than him at the time. Um, I just wanted a, a relationship with Map and Compass. Um, so I actually did. This is like the one and only actual like walking class I've ever taken. I took a course from Boulder Outdoor Survival School. Um, they have a 14 day navigation course. And awesome. uh, yeah, that, that class is super solid super solid and you're the whole time you're in the field um working with navigation and um the two-week course even ends with you doing your own 
um, four days solo that you're mm -hmm. working with a map and compass. So um, they really make sure that you build a relationship with that, those tools. Um, and yeah, that, that really, I, I grew a deeper foundation with, with map and, and compass um, through that course. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I actually also have done a 14 day with boss. Uh, it was you know, years ago, years ago now, but um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about those folks. Uh, they just, they do a really good job. I completely agree. Yeah. Which course did you take with them? I did a 14 day field. So similar to probably what you did, but um, I think it's uh, less intensive into land nav and kind of just more broad in terms of fire and shelter building and wild edibles and you know just kind of touching on everything a little bit rather than diving as deep into the land nav stuff totally was that your first time on a calorie deficit that long oh good question um i think i think so yeah i did uh 14 days with them and i lost 15 pounds totally. um yeah so uh yeah i think it was i've i've gone like with less on my solos now mostly intentionally um like i'll kind of stop eating even if i have a lot of fish on my solos because i feel like um sometimes the fasting gets my mental clarity like or really it's like mental acuity like i'm able to like dial in super hard when i have like a solid fast going rather than if i'm always eating and always thinking about food so um yeah, I think that was probably the first time that I'd gone on that few calories. Nice. That is so cool that it sounds like you, you did go hungry on that trip. And now you still like, play with that relationship with calorie deficit and what that does to you and what state of mind that brings you to. I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And it's done a lot for me. <clears throat> um, actually, recently with the injuries, when I've been injured and I feel really weird about being, you know, kind of stuck in one spot and not being able to move as much, I'll take that time and do a one or a two day fast. And right. I feel like it helps my, my mood and makes me feel like I'm not wasting time because rather than just, you know, sitting there like injured, I'm turning that time into like dedicated fasting. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, that makes, that makes so much sense. I think especially for people that have done survival trips or have experienced a certain level of hunger. I feel like I immediately grew a deeper gratitude for food and also a deeper desire to play with what it's like to be without. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's interesting, like seeking that intent, seeking that struggle intentionally, but knowing mm -hmm. that it's like the medicine you need to either give you purpose in the present moment or to heal your body or yeah it's just like yeah that's really cool yeah yeah it's a really powerful thing and it's it's like a fad now but like i mean this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years people have been doing this so i think there's definitely something to it for sure totally i i absolutely agree yeah for sure so back to your story you you get uh you know a lot of great experience going out um both solo and with your partner, Chris. Um, how did the idea of doing this giant walkabout come? Is this something that you always thought, like, I want to walk across America, basically? Or was that, how did that come out? Yeah, um, 
a number of years ago, I wanted to, um, I wanted, I, I had a goal for um, walking roughly 2,000 miles. And um, even though Chris and I do a fair bit of um, distance-based trips, they're usually a little bit under 1,000. Like they're usually around like 800 to 1,000 miles. And I was just like, a few years ago, I was like, oh man, I really, I wonder if 2,000 feels a lot different than 1,000. Um, and I set out on the Appalachian Trail. It, this might have been like four or five years ago now. Um, this, that trip was by myself. Chris was going to do a survival trip in Southern Utah. And I jumped on the Appalachian Trail because I was like way more into distance hiking at the time. Um, and I made it roughly 30 days in and I ended up getting really bad Giardia. So that got me off of the trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Um, but so that year I did not, pers I didn't achieve that goal, but that goal had stuck with me um, mm -hmm. as the years went on. And then um, Chris had this idea to, uh, do a walkabout through all of the states that we want to. Oh, hi. Here's my dog. <laughs> wow. Here's Mila. She's a little German Shepherd puppy. She doesn't, she isn't very small, but. <laughs> she looks like a wolf. She... <laughs> Do you want to say hi? <laughs> she just popped the door of the yurt open. I'm going to shut it real quick. Take your time. Hi, pup. Yeah, Chris wanted to, um, I, I still had my dream of walking 2,000 miles, and Chris had the idea of, like, walking through all the states that we might potentially want to live in. Um, so we kind of combined the two dreams together and put together a walkabout, um, starting with the Arizona Trail, um, and then jumping into Utah, walking to Matt Graham's runabout class. Because <laughs> I was like, well, what's a, is there a better way to compliment Matt Graham than to walk a thousand miles to his class? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um, and then from there, we went through Utah and then into Wyoming. Um, and we wanted to end in um, back at this yurt, but um, we ended up stopping 200 miles short of our goal um, because we got a phone call that one of our dogs had gotten really sick. Um, no. Yeah, so we had to we had to hitch back to where um, Chris's parents were to to visit our dog, and we're happy we made it because he did end up dying. Um, Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's okay. He was he was old and sick and we were happy to be there with him. Um but yeah, so so that was kind of the intentions and the gist of the walk and then um we headed out last spring walking northward. Um so yeah, awesome. it was yeah. <laughs> 
did you uh well i have like a hundred questions about the walk but my first one is like as it sits right now did you and chris like walk through a spot and you're like this is where we need to get land let's live here yeah um let's see well the funny thing is like the walk was missing a really important state for us which is new mexico um and that's actually where we're heading first to look for land this early spring. Um, so along our walk, we never felt that clarity of where our home is, but we did feel clarity where our home is not, if that makes mm. sense. Um, because I don't know if you experience this being someone that spends a lot of time on the land, walking and running and exploring and climbing you end up seeing the beauty in everywhere, um, mm -hmm. especially like different bioregions bring out, in order to kind of thrive there, it brings out different parts of you. And so for me, um, I kind of love them all. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, along the walk, we did get clear of like what places we would feel okay visiting or coming to do survival trips but wouldn't they, they wouldn't need to be like where we rest and recover if that makes sense absolutely but but yeah we never had that aha moment just inspiration to keep walking everywhere <laughs> yeah i can totally relate honestly uh, it's it's a tough one because you always have that feeling like you're gonna find a spot that feels like this is it and i know personally i've um you know, I've lived or gone through probably 25 or 30 states in the last year. And I I liked all of them, but I still do. I still don't know where my place is yet. So I think it's, I think what you said there is a really important thing, whether it's where you're living or what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis for work. Like sometimes figuring out what is not the answer is almost as important as figuring out what the answer is, you know, like, I know that I don't want to be here is almost as important as figuring out the other. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, like another thing that I like have realized is where I really, really like to walk doesn't necessarily need to be where I call home. Like, um, and so that has helped us narrow it down but I think it will just come down to making a decision at some point <laughs> and either either thriving from it or suffering from the consequences of it but <laughs> but um yeah <laughs> that's what they say you know like um no decision is one of the heaviest decisions at all of all right it's like yeah. I struggle with like the indecision a lot and it's like sometimes you just got to pick a path and then figure out and if it's not the right one then you can readjust you can always yeah. you can always switch it up totally yeah so yeah. when you guys did your big trip was there a uh you know any section or any point where you guys had a crazy wildlife encounter um i'm sure that you guys were like so ingrained and um you probably become like really part of your environment after being out there that long were there any moments where you had like a crazy wildlife experience yeah um well in general this past year was a super drought rich year um and so 
just on average, I saw way less animals than I have on other trips. Um, and also nothing like super big is sticking out only because there have been other trips we've done that we've had like crazy encounters. Like there was this one slot canyon, Chris and I were walking down one year and there was a fire on each side of the canyon and it funneled like bears and elk and deer. <laughs> and there were like birds flying like through the slot as we were walking, like literally running past us. What? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've had like experiences like that. Um, I, so I, I didn't even see a single rattlesnake this year, which is so crazy. Um, Wait, time out, time out. You're telling me <laughs> that you were standing there in a slot canyon and a bear ran at you face first. Yeah, yeah. The, um, this one trip, we were in a part of New Mexico. And um, yeah, we were in this, this slot canyon. And there was a fire on each side of the canyon. And there were elk and bears that were puneling past us. So nothing had ever come in the direction. We were like moving in the direction of everything else. Because um, we were walking down, down a butte and then out into like an open and open flatter plains. Um, and that that is, um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, we didn't see any javelina, but there were deer, there were elk, and there were bear. And... Yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty crazy experience. <laughs> Very cool. So on your solos, um, I'm curious, what is it like, how much of the food you eat are you packing in versus how much are you like hunting and foraging for? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, a fair bit of my friends that do certain types of walking, they they usually tend to have a style or an approach that they like stick with. Um, so like my friends that work with animals, they may be supplementing their diet with the milk that they're getting from their animals and then supplementing with grain or jerky or um, other foods that they have. Chris and I tend to always set some type of different experiment or challenge dietarily. So mm. if we're doing a wild food walk, everything we're bringing out has been wild collected and or like feral fruit stuff like that and then the rest is either what we can find and forage or end up not eating um but then there's other trips we do where we'll just bring some type of like grain but then try to hunt all of our meat and then there's other trips where if it's just like let's say if we've just finished a like really long season of teaching and we just want to be out we'll bring all of our calories that are is mostly just like backpacking foods, you know, on like the healthier <laughs> um, spectrum. So it, it really varies. Um, but one thing that we do always have is like a lot of meat and dried dried meat and pemmican and a lot of animal fat that we've that we've processed ourselves. Um, and yeah, so it, it really it really it really varies. It like depends on whichever trip we're we're doing and what and what our intention is because um there is an aspect of us that is just ultralight backpackers 
there's another aspect that we're survivalists. I spend a lot of time with animals and herding and animal husbandry. So um, it really is like whatever our, our flow is and what we're desiring. Cool. Yeah, it's cool that you guys like set an intention beforehand. I've <clears throat> found myself like, uh, it's sometimes I feel like I'm either um, no food, like I'm not bringing anything, just kind of find what I can or forge what I can. And then other times I'm like, haven't thought about it at all. And I'm like stopping to grab like nuts and seeds and jerky on the way in because I, I have not been as intentional. So it's cool that you guys put thought into the challenge to kind of make a certain uh you're trying to create like a certain environment where you're emulating um you know a certain experience that you're looking for so it's cool that you guys kind of set that beforehand yeah. rather than playing it off the playing it by ear yeah yeah i have noticed that when i'm going out for shorter trips so i would say anything that's like under 10 days um i I feel like there it's much more easier to wing it because like if you have a deeper experience with spending time out walking or running um, then you really know like calorically what you can put your body through you know like the detriment risk of it and stuff and it's just um and so it's not that big of a deal but but when we do prepare for these longer trips I would say two weeks or more um, there is like a pretty big emphasis in food prep and like comprehension, comprehending like what we're willing to put our bodies through or what walls we're willing to test our bodies against um, because it really can change. It can change a whole trip even if you just choose to bring sandals instead of like closed-toed shoes and wool socks, right? So, um, so yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's always every, every trip I do, like, we'll just always change things up. And like, another good example is just like, what are we wanting to work with fire wise? So mm. are we always going to want to attempt a hand drill before we pull out the matches? Well, at the end of the day, <laughs> if we have matches and a hand drill kit and we're tired and hungry, I know I'll just like reach for that match but if Chris and I have written down our intentions before the trip then I know he'll hold me to it and I also know that I will have a deeper sense of a willingness to push through that discomfort and get out the hand drill kit um, mm -hmm. just because those are like intentions I've set I've set ahead of time if that makes any sense because I definitely no, it definitely makes sense yeah I like definitely trend towards what's easiest um, especially the more hungry I am. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I do think Chris and I spend a lot of time in preparation phase before trips and, and it usually involves quite a bit of journaling, um, and mm. talking together and then journaling some more and then talking, um, before we, before we like narrow down what the trip is, where it's going to happen and what our intentions are for it. Yeah. That's so sweet that you guys can kind of share and see eye to eye and come to a place where you guys see it together. I mean, I, I can't think of like that many people I know that <clears throat> this is the main thing that keeps popping in my head is like wet, tired and hungry. 
um, could still get along with a significant other. And I don't mean like you're a little bit wet and you're a little bit tired and a little bit hungry. I mean, you're soaking wet from a rainstorm, you've done 40 miles and you haven't eaten in a day hungry. Like, yeah. I can't imagine that there's that many couples who could just like see eye to eye in that moment. Or like, I feel like that would blow up a lot of people's perception of the other. Totally. Well, one jokingly thing I, I tell people is like, well, when you're really tired and hungry, you're too tired to fight anyways, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so but, good. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think that relationship-wise, we do way better when we're out in the field cause, um, because even though we, like, work together and live together, we'll have way less time for each other. And when we're actually on trips, I feel like we're, like, experiencing this world going through this hunger, going through this, this coldness together. Um, and it, and it is, it has been like a, a foundational thing for a partnership in general. Like sometimes we'll feel the opposite of what other couples will feel. We'll know we haven't been on a trip for a while. If things start feeling like rough or harder, we're like, Oh, we better go do a trip. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is, it is really fortunate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. So <laughs> I think there was, um, <clears throat> there was a minute we touched on it earlier, but you don't just do walkabouts. You're also um, an avid runner and you've been doing, you know, kind of ultra marathon distance, you know, on minimalist style gear. How did you get your start running? Uh, it doesn't, you know, I don't think like, most dancers just think, oh, I'm going to start running now. It doesn't seem like a natural progression, but you excelled at dancing and then became a really good distance runner. What did that look like? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, one thing that dancers are not allowed to do is run. Wow. Um, and so I never ran my whole entire childhood once I started dancing. It's it's literally against the rules. and. And if you want to go pro as a dancer, you, you don't run. You can't run. Um, you're not allowed to. Um, wow. Yeah. So I had never run um, ever. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember running when I was like five years old, but um, I never run or I never ran once I started studying dance. So by the time I was like seven, eight years old, I, I wasn't running at all. Um, and I, I, when you are like studying something to become professional, you kind of just don't question your mm. teacher. Um, and one thing they did tell me is they were like, well, you are like building your physique differently if you pursue running over dancing, which dancing is really physique oriented. Mm. Um, and so I just did what, what I was told. Um, and I ended up quitting dancing when I was roughly 15 years old um for i quit dancing for a number of years um mm. and once i started doing walkabouts and survival trips um i kind of started like building a relationship with jogging and really liked it and then i started running um and then i read a pretty well-known book, Born to Run. Um, and that one actually influenced me really deeply um, because I trend to be on like the shorter, stockier side. And so I never really had like 
I didn't know that like I could become a distance runner or mountain runner. Um, but once I read that book about the Tarumara and learned that there's peoples that have a relationship with running to travel to and from places, I just like started freaking out. And then Chris told me about Matt Graham. And at the time he was like running the Pacific Crest Trail, like in his mid forties, you know, trying to like finish it up. Um, and I remember I, I ran pretty seriously for about six months. And then I was like, Chris, I want to run 50 miles. He's like sick. Let's make your route. Like you should do it. Um, and we set the route up more as like a adventure runabout. So like, I'd only run 10 miles, go to sleep, 10 miles, go to sleep. So it'd be like a five day trip. Mm. And I, I set out for it and I like ran it in under a day. Um, <laughs> and then I got home and I was like, Chris, I'm, I'm want to run 75 miles like next week. And he was like, sick. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you crazy woman. Let's just make a new route. And so, um, we made a route through the the whole entire gravelly range out here in Montana. It's a pretty rugged mountain range. And then, um, yeah, I just set out and I, I ran that whole thing as well. And, and at the time I didn't really have gear. I just had some, like, I didn't, I, I like saw a photo of what an, a running vest looks like. And I was like, Oh, like, so I went out and bought a kid's backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. And then I like made a chest strap with bailing twine. <laughs> and, then, and, and I remember I just like had an emergency like poncho tarp um, and then a pad, but no sleeping bag. And then just some pemmican and chia seeds. Like I was just like gathering all my inspiration and trying to like make something with what I had. Um, and then, yeah, I went out and ran that as well. So, um, and that was before I had a better relationship with navigation. Um, mm. so the really cute thing is like for the 50 mile run, I was on dirt roads and then the last like 25 miles was just on train tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, knew I wanted, <laughs> I knew I wanted to do distance, but, but I didn't really know <laughs> how to navigate the land yet. Um, so most of those, both of those trips were on like forest service roads or whatever. And even going up and over the whole, the whole gravelly range, um, it was mostly on roads, but at the time it felt like a profound thing to have done. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a good way for people <clears throat> getting into like adventure run is like find something that moves in a cardinal direction or find something that, you know, where it leads and, and follow that. It doesn't have to be like deep in the Rocky mountains, you know, doing crazy mountains or in Montana, you can follow something predictable that you know where it goes and it can be a lot more, uh, you know, safe experience. And I, I also sympathize with your two inspirations. It's funny that you've mentioned both of those. So Matt Graham, who for folks that are listening, um, he was episode two of this podcast, one of my inspirations as well. And then uh, Barefoot Ted from the book Born to Run was like episode nine. So those two people also influenced me, both awesome runners that like maintain that relationship where it's not all about getting first place always. A lot of times it's really about um, 
it's really about the experience of the run. So those two people had a profound impact on the way I run. And I feel like, um, I feel like you kind of embody that as well. And I've even heard you throw out a term, uh, I think you called it freedom running, rather yeah. than like running a race, kind of running more to feel like a free human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freedom running is what I end up teaching whenever I go to the gatherings. Um, and it's, it, it usually just involves some type of run through a landscape with a group of people. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh how is that different from um, what most people probably practice when they're running? Yeah. Oh, man. I think when a lot of people run, they're trying to either burn calories. They're trying to get a workout in. They're trying to run a certain speed. Um, they are trying to, like, I just feel like there's so much number crunching and goals um, that, um can kind of get in the way of what running can be. Um, I also am like a firm believer of body movement. And so I'm always trying to find ways that I can approach movement or exercise and get people like more comfortable with it. Um, mm -hmm. I also think running in general just has a really bad reputation. And so I'm always just like, well, shit, how can I make this so fun? Like, how can I make this fun for the people and their bodies again? Because I'm sure it's like built within them somewhere in their ancestry. So, um, yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of the, the emphasis in Born to Run uh, in that book. It's for those listening that haven't ever heard of it. It's a book by Christopher McDougall, who also has a, he has a small talk online you can look up that talks about the Tarumara and kind of this hidden tribe of runners and relates it back to our natural inclination as human beings, like our species is to run really far um, on hot days and our ability to sweat really allows us to do that better than any other animal on earth. We're not really naturally equipped for anything. We're not strong for our size. We don't have fangs. You know, we're not really that good at anything except for running far on hot days. And that's really been how our species has evolved. Totally. Did you grow up running? Uh, no, I and I still suck at running, I think, um, which I guess it's uh, it's totally subjective. But um, no, I grew up playing football and basketball and sports where you run really fast for a short burst and then you kind of take a break. Um, I would say until, gosh, you know, early in my 20s, I couldn't run like a nine minute mile. I think I just really started running like last year. I did my first ultra and um, I did the 50 mile run with Matt Graham. Uh, I think near the same time, maybe just before you guys made it there for the run. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm still learning about it as I go. But what changed it all for me was minimalist footwear. I tried to run for a long time. I broke my foot in half. I had knee issues. And I was, like, wearing these big padded shoes with foot inserts and trying all this stuff. And then I went more, like, on some barefoot walks and felt really good. And then I tried running with sandals on with, like, minimal padding. And I felt amazing. And I also felt more free, like, more connected. And it sounds woo-woo, like if you haven't tried it, 
But once you put them on, you can tell like a really big difference in the way you feel while you're actually running. It doesn't feel as, um, it doesn't feel like you're just constantly giving, like um, constantly outputting. It feels like you're getting a lot back. Like you're getting a lot of feedback when you have a very small amount between your feet and the ground. So it's kind of like a, it's more like a dance to me than when I'm running like just for hard time. It's a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. Totally. Sweet. And have you done a fair bit of training on trail as well? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I pretty much only trail run. Um, when I first started running, I wanted to try and run on the roads. And I thought it was miserable. Um, just like running down the road, whether it was like around houses or um, in er like more rural areas, like just running through farm fields, I didn't really like it. And then one day I was actually on a hike up a big mountain. And I was like, Oh, I'm just gonna run down because it's just as easy. And I cooked down it like, 430 pace like ran as fast as I could and I was like that's the most fun thing I've ever done in my life I'm a trail runner now nice. and after that point I really I really liked trail running and now like I really enjoy the uphill part because in the beginning the uphill part sucks it's like the worst but as you get your conditioning up and as you get used to it you start to appreciate like the slow monotonous move up the mountain for sure that's awesome cool so definitely been a journey yeah, sounds like it. That's great. What uh, what kind of running do you do when you're like at a stationary spot like at, at your place now? Are you still running or do you kind of just take a break until it's time to go back out? Yes. Yeah, I, I run almost every single day. Um, but I can definitely say I run maybe four to five times a week. Um, and right now my my running is a little different than usual um, because I'm, I'm studying dance so intensely right now. Um, this is the first time in my adult life I've actually gotten like a personal dance coach. Um, she, she studies like the Ido Portal movement method um, with like a strong emphasis on like um, modern dance. And so it's, it's a ton. I, I have to like send in I, I train roughly eight hours a week, but it's like really intense, comprehensive mobility and movement practices. So um, I have been running a lot less and doing a lot more modern dance and then also studying other forms, like starting to get really into body weight and rings. Um, but I think that once spring comes, there's less snow and ice on the ground. I'll probably start running a little bit more um but yeah this winter definitely been a little bit light lighter on the running and so far i actually think it's probably doing my body a little bit good because my legs feel nice and loose and limber right now so yeah <laughs> awesome so what was the the first name you said etol I, I wasn't familiar with that could you dive into that yeah yeah Ito portal he's a he's a um <laughs> a movement artist and um I'm actually like not hugely educated in him and his approach to movement because he teaches like a very wide array of athletic movement, comprehensive based um, movement based like athletics, but there is like a very specific 
sect of like movement and dancing that he does. And I found a trainer in like Berlin, Germany that was willing to like work with me over, um, over the phone. And, um, and so I'm actually like studying with her. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a ton of mobility and, um, basic, basic movements for like, um, I, when I do a single training session, it usually lasts about three, three and a half hours. Um, and then once a week, I'll like send in her some footage homework. And then she usually responds with some very strict <laughs> responses on all the things I'm doing wrong. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's really sweet studying something so intensely right now, especially like comprehensively. Like, I feel like when I'm studying under her, I have to use my brain so much more than I do when I'm like doing a simple like weight weight bearing activity. Yeah, so I, I a couple questions on that. So you're like pre-professional dancer, you kind of put it down for a minute and then you get back into it. And now you're even starting to teach dancing, right? You're you're going to be leading like a sort of it seems like kind of like yeah. the merging of your two skills, like wilderness and dancing kind of combined. And I've never seen a course that offers anything like that. So I'm curious, like, what was the genesis with wilderness dance? A few years ago, I was on a survival trip. It was in Southern Utah. And I was like on the top of this mesa and I was doing some yoga and stretching and then started doing a little bit of dance. Um, and that was kind of like where I started studying dance again in an outdoor setting. Um, I feel like up until that point, I had always had an energetic block with not being able to study dance outdoors. Like I always wanted that mm. like studio that I studied in. Um, and, and then along with like running and trail running and walking, when you're in dynamic terrain, it feels very much like dancing. Um, and by golly, if you put in some music, like you are dancing, you are just like flowing <laughs> with the landscape. And, um, and so, and now my training is mostly outdoors. Um, I don't have a dance studio. I don't have a room with a bunch of mirrors. Um, I don't even have a gym that I go to. So I would say 85 plus percent of my training is just outside in the wind or in the snow or in the storm or in the sunlight. Um, and especially once I start doing walks, like my training goes with me on my walkabouts. So I was like, man, I wonder if this might be something other people are interested in, whether they need help learning how to dance outside as well, or are just wanting to find another mo mo like modality of connecting with the land because um mm. when you're when you're like warming up or you're getting ready to do some type of training like you're like connecting with your breath you're like connecting with the colors of the sky you're connecting with how your feet on the ground and then from like all those sources of energy and connecting with your body then like a form of movement will start to flow out of you mm. um and i just 
wanted yeah I want to like hold space for me to explore that in a group setting and also to just see what can happen um I originally was like this class is not gonna have any music at all one because I really like challenges and I also just like wanted to see if people would be able to like tap into those like deeper beats of like themselves in the land but then kind of energetically someone signed up for the class that is an acoustic musician and so there even will be some music in for the class and I think that that will be like a nice blend of having a couple hours a day where we're like dancing and moving with music and then a lot of the rest of the day is just like hearing the wind or being like with the willows and like watching the willows and then imitating the willows and then just being the willow and seeing what movements start to come from that so um, Very cool. yeah yeah I think one thing that's so hard maybe you can relate as like an athlete and a mover is like trying to put words to what you do <laughs> and I always feel like when I try to articulate it sounds a little ridiculous but um yeah I'm looking forward to this class it's it's this spring um and there's still some opening spots if there's any women interested in joining this this dance course <laughs> right on yeah I, to I totally can relate because I think um for me it's when I loosen up uh when I'm running I definitely kind of dance um or for me it's like trail running becomes almost like an agility drill so rather than like putting one step and forward like one foot in front of the next it becomes like you're moving sideways and you're jumping over something and then you're letting your arms flail out and you become like completely like it's more of a flow state than like normal running where you're like keeping the same form. I feel like on the trail, I'm much more loosey goosey and definitely if I add some music in, I'm not a dancer by the furthest stretch of the imagination, but I definitely get in my groove like when I'm listening to music and running around. It's a really beautiful feeling, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's great. So I can definitely, I can definitely see how that would be a really good outlet for people. So for people that, you know, are listening to this and are interested, how would they go about signing up for something like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, to sign up for the dance class. Um, you can just click on my Instagram page. Um, in my bio, there's a link to, to send me a request. And then from there, I can answer any questions and correspond and um, people can sign up through there. So yeah right on very very cool yeah. well we're uh we're approaching up on an hour are there any other questions you have for me or any other uh any other messages that you'd want to share before we before we wrap up mm. no specific questions for you but i look forward to connecting more um absolutely yeah, i just hope that everyone wherever they are is like getting some good rest um especially for people that are in the colder climates it's kind of in the middle or the tail end of winter and it's a good time to take care of your bodies especially if you're athletes out there so i hope everyone's resting <laughs> i think i need to hear that just about as much as everyone else <laughs> nice me <Yeah>. too <laughs> all right well that's the mission is both of us get some get some good rest and chill out for a little bit sick <laughs> All right. Well, Bartle, it was so fun uh, talking with you and I definitely hope to connect soon. Let's uh, we got to do a walkabout or a runabout next time we're in the same spot. Totally. I'll be in Colorado next month, so I'll hit you up. <laughs> oh, I'll be here. Let's do it. Sick. Awesome. Right. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Epic. Have a good night.
Yeah, you too. Stay well, guys.